Alright. Hey guys, welcome to episode 26 of Next on the Platform. This week joining me is uh, Shane Hunt. How are you today, man? I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Um, obviously, as most people already know, recently you had a bit of an issue um, with your adductor and sumo. So, how have you been since then? And just tell us how it happened as well. Um, so, I think it happened about right about four and a half weeks ago, June 10th. Um, I was going for a 9.25 pull. Uh, I posted a video of I did 8.35 and it kind of slipped out of my hand um, right before. And I decided to go up anyway, just it moved really well. Um, but I'm 925. I didn't even break it off the ground. I just felt it. And it wasn't a bad like pop or a tear. I don't think it was audible. Um, but I just put, I stopped the pull immediately. Um, I didn't, I didn't really try to grind through it. And uh, it was, it was pretty bad. It bruised up three or four days later and it stayed bruised for about uh, two weeks or so. Um, but the bruising has gone down significantly. It's not really discolored at all anymore. And probably about, 10 or 12 days later, I was able to start squatting high bar. Mm. What about like so, walking and stuff? Was walking hard straight after it when it was bruised up? Um, it really wasn't hard unless I went to like the, unless I would like add up to it. So the day it happened, I tried to do my accessories and I had foot squats and some Cossack squats as accessories and I couldn't even, but I was still able to walk. If I definitely felt it. It felt like kind of swollen, um, but I did. I actually ended up playing tennis with my friend later that night. I, I figured if I kept moving, it would be one of the best things for it. Just general, just, you know, light movement. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, it wasn't debilitating. I was never able to not walk, but the next mm -hmm. day it was very tight and it took time in the day to get everything warm and moving, but it definitely, it never was like debilitating mm -hmm. all the way. And so since then, what have you sort of been, because I've been watching on your story, like um, the rehab process and that sort of thing. Who have you been talking to and working with to sort of get back on track? Uh, well, uh, I don't want to make it sound like it's been too regimented. Really happy. Um, I just kind of took it as this be an opportunity, kind of take a look at what kind of why that happened. And I think it happened just because of too much fatigue. Plating. I was just, I've been pushing too hard for too long just pushing the intensity, trying to lift heavy. Mm. Um, so I figured, I knew, I didn't think it was going to be really a serious injury when it first happened. I kind of had the, just the foresight, I guess. Mm. It wasn't going to be too bad. Uh, and then I just started introducing movements as I could. I wouldn't really say, like my coach, Dawson, we definitely bounced a lot of ideas back, um, back and forth off each other. Um, and he gave me the idea to try, start doing the Copenhagen side links, which those helped a lot. Um, the Cossack squats, I'd been tra training already before, but I think a lot of people have asked me about those. Those aren't really to strengthen the adductor in my eyes. It's more to, it's a loaded stretch. I'm taking the adductor to the end range of motion and stretching it at that end range under load. Um, so it's more like a tolerance thing than it is really like to strengthen the adductor itself. The Copenhagen side planks really do, like you really feel like the adductor actually working on those. Whereas on the, the Cossack squat, it's more of like you just feel a stretch in the adductor. Mm. Okay, yeah. And the, the, the I, um, I've i done the side plank adductor one as well. That's a great one because um, I had a few people interested in knowing, like they asked me when I put up the questions, what was the main thing that helped you rehab with your adductor? And like I said to the guy, I said, I don't know exactly in Shane Shane's case, but it, it's likely the injury was like a volume related thing. And like you said, it, you just think it happened from pushing too hard. The intensity was too high. I said to the guy, you know, like it's probably to do with your volume. Unless you have like some crazy deadlift stance, 
these types of strains and injuries usually result from just too much volume, too the intensity is too high or something like that. Um, but yeah, they wanted to know what you thought was the quote unquote best exercise for yeah rehabbing your adductor. Yeah, I think it, it would depend too much on the individual. And I'll be honest, I think mine was extremely minor. I've had a lot of people message me and say they weren't able to deadlift six months. I was able to deadlift three weeks. I was able to conventional deadlift. So, I mean, I really don't, I think mine was a very minor, like, I mean, it's still a tear, but there's like, there's grades to the level of strain or, or tear, you know? So I think it was mm-hmm. a fairly minor one. And I've never had it before. Um, like you said, I don't have a very extreme sumo stance. My sumo is actually fairly narrow for someone who's as tall as I am. Um, so I never, and I have, I have good mobility. So I never really feel like a strain on that muscle typically. Mm-hmm. So I do think fatigue, too much accumulated fatigue, um, pushing too hard, not letting that fatigue dissipate, you know? Mm. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned um, Dawson, which I'm interested in because uh, I was wondering who your coach was. I hadn't. I thought maybe it was Dawson. When did you guys start working together? Oh, man. So it's, um, I'd say coaching relationship is like heavily collaborative. We, we bounce a lot of ideas off each other. And it's not that necessarily he's training me all the time. A lot of times I do my own thing. Um, but he did prep me for the meet and he started coaching me i'd say about a year and a half ago um i was coming off a shoulder dislocation really skinny and he started coaching me then um and then for definitely for the last six months i'd say before the meet i did in february he was he was pretty much doing all my programming up until about a month out where i kind of hurt myself again (laughs) um and i was just kind of getting getting to the meet so i really wasn't training like you know in a regimented like way Mm. um but yeah i'd say about a year and a half kind of on and off Mm. okay yeah because i just noticed the unique like training style um which i kind of see reflected in dawson's training with like the for example like the dips that he does where it's like completely like full range of motion dips or chest flies where he touches the floor or uh, obviously like the it's like the split squat thing where he puts his hamstring on his calf and that sort of thing. I, and it's so unique. I, I never really see powerlifters train like that. And then I started noticing like with, with your training, for example, the really close grip incline and then obviously that split squat thing that he does, the lunge um, and that sort of thing. And I thought, oh, and then and then I kind of put it together. He was potentially coaching you. Um, that, what do you like? what is your philosophy behind that kind of thing? Cause it's almost like bodybuilding style and obviously you're in the off season, you're in rehab and that sort of thing. But what is your thought process behind, for example, that really close grip, you know, incline press. And, and I've seen like, you do like a really long pause on the last rep. Like it's very, I wouldn't say anti powerlifting, but it's very different to how most powerlifters train in the off season. Yeah. I think that, um, especially with the bench press, there's this kind of like myth or um, misconception in my that like a really wide grip bench is going to be better for your pecs. Um, and I've heard a lot of people talk about it. Closer grip bench pressing, just being a little bit more general, um, just being more like just raw kind of strength and power versus like refining technique to the point um, where you're really trying to reduce range of motion a lot. Um, so I do like powerlifting. I do want to be strong. I want to have a good bench press but kind of more more relevant to me i want to be like overall very strong. so i don't want to have to be able to reduce my i can't for one reduce my range of motion enough to warrant i think a very wide grip um 
like Sean Noriega, for example, I could never bench like that. Even if I had, and I had really good mobility, like through my thoracic and like lumbar spine, no matter how much I arch, and even if I'm at max width, my range of motion is still fairly significant, but I lose so much power from that position. Mm. So I think to a degree, it's just because of the way I'm built. I'm not really built to be like a, your typical power lifter. I'm like six, six foot one. I have a six, I have like a six, seven wingspan. So I even have a, that train of wingspan i'm built to deadlift for sure but i'm really not built to to squat or bench press so i, I definitely find that a more general like just closer grip um complements me because i can just focus on being just generally strong and not trying to be over analytical with technique and get you know reduced range of motion i mean and personally i think it's more impressive more range of motion mm. no i think it's funny like that you mentioned the the wide grip as well because you'll see some guys come off like a really wide grip bench and I like I support it. I'd do it too if I could. Um, and then they can't really dumbbell press heavy at all. Like you see that there's a huge difference in their like bench press strength to where they like can't, for example, can't even use like the hundred pound dumbbells. And so uh, I think it's funny. Like, but people got to understand. Like, yeah, like you said, uh, for the pec, the the pec adducts the, uh, the humerus. So when you're out further, there's less there's less um, adduction range of motion. So like, yes. When, when you're in close, the pec does more work to to an extent, not too close, obviously, because then triceps take over. But yeah, there's like a, and that's why I've talked about it as well. It's like, I encourage people to bench close for as long as they can, or not close, but like just with an, a general grip. And then, you know, if they want to take it out later, because you build that base first and you get like a bigger chest um, and before you take it out wide. But yeah, people people under, don't like don't understand that, that when you're out further, the chest does technically does less work because there's less um, range of motion for your your arm to travel through. But I mean, yeah, it's it's whatever suits you better. It's um, funny that you say that it, it suits you better because it's like quite close now, um, like that more raw, like like you mentioned, strength raw strength style bench press um, with that close grip. How have you how have you um, dealt with like volume and that sort of thing? Because I know obviously distance traveled is a um an important part of programming so when you have a closer grip obviously you're doing more work how have you is it like the same volume or have you uh decreased it a little no i and i've noticed that significantly so even i, I want to say back in february i was probably bench pressing middle finger on the ring of a power bar ohio power bar and now i'm probably about an inch inside the ring like my pinky is about an inch inside the ring so it's it is pretty significantly closer and i do notice that i'm not as good at reps my top end strength is better like my one rep strength i'm like better at that and much more explosive mm. but just like that having the the increased range, more work i definitely am not I, I burn out faster within one set and i find i burn out faster within a workout too so i used to be i mean i, I feel like i used to be able to do like four or five for like a bunch of sets of five and now just to even do like three sets of five is i feel like it's it's honestly more impressive it's more work but i can't just keep busting out sets mm. of five like mm. and that scale back a little bit the volume i do but i do think that's a opportunity to if i do more volume i can use less weight potentially and, and increase that you know i think it's mm. something that i can work yeah i think it's something that people forget with the conventional deadlift as well and like you mentioned that you're quite tall for powerlifting like the work done people kind of oh yeah you're tall whatever like stop complaining but it's like you know one tall people usually have worse leverages and two um the work 
the total work done and the distance, like I said, distance traveled is like such a big factor in your programming. Like if you have a coach who's never dealt with someone tall, most likely they're going to burn you out um, and you'll do too much volume. But because it's such a weird thing, like you would expect like a bigger dude could maybe handle more. But usually, and like from what I've found, I can do, you know, do three sets of deadlift per week or four sets maybe and before you just absolutely burn out because that work traveled, that like distance traveled and total work is so much higher than someone who's, you know, however tall. Yeah, that's, that is a very interesting point. That's something that um, as I've done more and more coaching, I do kind of, I try to look at that, like the height of, of um, my lifters, you know, I do think it, it's important. I wouldn't say that I've done a lot with like manipulating that, but I do see it as something that needs to be, you know, at least considered. Mm. Yeah, like for me, a conventional puller um, at my height, like, yeah, I can, I do maybe 10 reps a deadlift per week and I'm absolutely toast. If I do more than that, like just regression. So, it's it's something like, yeah, it's, you don't really understand it until you deal with it and like I'm sure you have as well and, um, but yeah, it's a big factor that some people kind of underestimate. Other than, other than your unique training style, um, the stuff you do with like mobility and that sort of thing, I know there's like all the the physios of Instagram debating over what's good and what's not. What does a like a typical warm up and like mobility session look like for you? Um, I would I never really have any that are dedicated to mobility. Um, sometimes when I'm messing around and I want to like actually do something, like if I want to hit a split or something like that, I will. I'll kind of play around. With it, but I say it's mostly intuitive and I don't have like regimented mobility that I do. Uh, like now before a workout, like if I'm going to bench press, I'll just like grab a band and do some just very general like shoulder movements. Um, but like I said, it's mostly intuitive based, like or based on intuition. I don't really have like a set. I'm going to go do this, these five things before I go lift. Um, and usually, honestly, I feel good just sort of walking around the gym, just moving around a little bit and then just starting with the bar on whatever I'm going to do, I usually feel okay enough. Mm. If, if fatigue high and I do feel beat up, I'll do more. But usually I find something very general before I start my specific work is enough. So if I just ride the bike, walk a few minutes, just move around a little bit, I really don't find that I need to do anything very, very specific besides actually the movement that I'm going to be warming up. And just, if I don't feel good, I'll just do more, more warm up sets. You know, mm. if you did five sets with the bar before you put a plate on, that's not really going to hurt you, you know, so. Mm. And so, even with your sumo, it's like very, like the same approach as, as you just mentioned? Um, So, I don't like to deadlift unless I've squatted first. And I always find that if I've squatted first, I've already taken every muscle that's going to be involved in the deadlift through a more full range of motion, usually. Maybe not like the adductors and the hamstrings, but everything else at the knees, the, um, you know, like quads, everything like that. I've taken through a full range of motion. So I'm already like warmed up and I've already been bracing, I've already been practicing my brace. So as long as I start light enough again on the deadlift, kind of, you know, refine technique a little bit, I don't find that I need to do much before. Um, sometimes I do like to do like some dead bugs before I lift, just like some very basic or like eight point planks, just something to kind of reinforce that idea of bracing and make sure that I'm actually doing it as good as I can be. Um, but yeah, I usually find that if I squatted, first i'm just ready to deadlift and i almost always perform better on deadlift if i have squatted first the times i do try to go straight into deadlift almost never goes well so this the fatigue from squatting doesn't really doesn't really tend to affect you 
I think it does, but I more out of. It's hard to explain. It really is kind of hard to. I feel the like deadlift is is much more of like a demonstration of strength, and so is the squat. If you if you like you know, go really heavy, but I feel like the squat prepares me to do the deadlift. To, and if I don't do that, then I'm not as warmed up or as I would be otherwise. But I do think there is some level of fatigue, and like if I do something on squat and it kind of bothers me, you know, if my back is a little bit tight from squatting, that's not going to help me deadlift. But as long as I've done some squatting, I do feel like it almost always aids me. Mm. Well, does um have you found that you perform better on meets? And if that's your philosophy, I imagine you're you can handle fatigue and like um the drawbacks from from deadlifting after squatting, like in a meet. Have you found have you found that that sort of mentality has carried over into meets? Yeah, I've actually um I've always really I've always performed well on deadlift at meets. I've had meets where I've done pretty subpar i'd say on like squat and bench but i really haven't had any meets where i've been pulled pretty close to what i'm capable of i can think of like maybe 2018 nationals um where i missed like 766 this is in the usapl um but that's really the only one where i can think of like i really went for a number and didn't get it my deadlifts almost always are they, they usually do show up you know on meet day almost yeah. always and so, have you been um, have you been pulling sumo like for most of your powerlifting career? Have you did you make the switch a while back? So I started competing when I was fifteen years old, and that, and that meet I definitely pulled conventional. But I started messing around with sumo even back then. So when I was 15, 16 years old, I was already experimenting with sumo. Um, but I did I did do a few more meets when I was um, around that age that I did conventional, and then I think. First time I ever pulled sumo was probably around 2016 when I pulled in a meet and I've been pulling sumo in competition since then. So about five years in competition. Mm. I was, I was going to ask you before we go into the deadlift stuff Um, in the off season, one of the things I've like, since you've uh, had the injury and stuff, you, you kind of train and what looks like bodybuilding training, which I fully support. Um, obviously a massive hypertrophy fan in the off season. What does a typical um, off season block look for you in terms of, uh, like hypertrophy co- focus as opposed to doing like one, two, three reps uh, in, on that high percentage range? You mean like for a compound movement or for like accessory based? Well, movements? yeah, both of them, like either either or. Yeah, I'd say that um, even in the off season, I don't like to get too crazy with like the reps. Um, like I probably, like I'll never probably go over, uh, I'd say like, you know, 10 reps on a squat, 10 on a bench, maybe probably more like, I have done higher rep sets. So probably like five reps on the deadlift, I'd say. I don't really like to extend that. Um, but I definitely like variations that, again, increase range of motion. And that's good for hypertrophy, like the high bar squats, the close rip benching, conventional deadlifts. Um, I think all of those are going to be going to give you more hypertrophy because of the range of motion. Um, and then I'd say I do I do a good bit of um, volume work on all the accessories. Like that's how I really think that I've like built most of like the physique, you know, is just – is. I mean, obviously the compound movements too, but I think the accessories really, uh, really do help a lot. And I'll, I mean, I'll do a ton of volume on like dumbbell presses, um, incline, different different variations. I think that helps too, just doing different variations of movements. So doing lap pull downs, also doing pull ups, weighted pull ups, you know, different grips, all those different things. I think they help a lot with the overall just hypertrophy and like just overall, you know, training most of the aspects of all the joints and muscles, you know, mm. not just one very specific way but having a more you know well-rounded training everything you know mm. 
Yeah, I had a few people ask me uh, on the questions like, what's his favorite exercise for bench or this and that? Or what's the best accessory for deadlift? And obviously, the answer to that is always like as individual. Um, but what, like in your opinion, what do you, what would you, I don't want to say best because that's, best is a silly word for it. What's your favorite um, accessory for those big three? Um, I'd say for the squat, it's probably either, it's either like a high bar squat or just a pause squat or a both. So I don't want to get too far away from the movement. I'm not really a fan of, I've used it in the past, but I'm not a fan of like the safety bar squat, any of those specialty barbells for, especially for the squat. I'm really not a fan of at all. Um, but I'm a huge fan of high bar. It takes a little bit of pressure off the wrist for um, the wrist, the elbows, the shoulders. Um, and then just anything that makes it harder. So, you know, I'm, I don't really like tempo work, like eccentric tempo work, but the pauses, I think those help a ton. Um, so I'd say like high bar and a pause squat for the squat, um, the bench press, just um, kind of the same thing, bringing the grip in closer, pausing longer, just making it harder. Um, the bench press, though, I really do think that the other things, the other movements help a ton. So just doing like strict pressing over. I really like the overhead press, the strict barbell press, um, dumbbell presses, overhead and chest presses. And then just obviously for the bench press, I feel like a big part of it is just your your upper back mus musculature. So making sure you have like you know, very Lots of attention to rows, lap pull-downs, rear delt flies. All those things are going to kind of build the, the base for stability in the upper back. Um, and then deadlift, I, th I think um, probably honestly squatting. Like I feel like squatting is like what makes my – just increase my general strength. And then as long as my technique is there, the deadlift will get stronger. That's why I really wasn't too worried about the adductor because I know that as my squat increases – my deadlift will pretty much increase with it as long as the technique is there and the hook grip is there. Um, but I'd say it's either just squatting or like pause deadlift. Mm. But I, I think people get, they get far away from the movement. I think that's where people go a little bit too wrong. Like I wouldn't say the hamstring curl is a good um, – it, it's going to be somewhat relevant to the deadlift, but it's not going to really – you know, it's just going to make your hamstrings bigger. It's not going to make your deadlift any stronger, you know? Obviously, the load potential is significantly different and for someone like you as well, like a hamstring curl compared to deadlifting, you know, over 400 kilos. Um, I was going to ask you, oh, it slipped my mind. Obviously, um, it would almost be an unpopular opinion to um, say that overhead press helps your bench press. Uh, I've seen you program it. I'm actually a fan of it myself and specifically, uh, like, yes, I wouldn't do it during a prep, but in the off season, I'm a big fan of the overhead press. And my logic and thought process is uh, if it makes my shoulders bigger and the shoulders are used somewhat in the bench press, why should I not do it? Um, but it, do you just program it in because a simple like hypertrophy or do you actually think it helps your bench as well? Uh, well, it's, it's a different plane of, of motion. So I'd say that it's not really, it's not specific to the bench press, but I think it is a better general strength move than the bench press. So the overhead press um you really can't reduce range of motion. Even when I bench press, I still arch, which does reduce some range of motion. But the overhead press, you really can't reduce range of motion unless you literally like fall back. <laughs> so that one thing, I think it it does kind of keep load kind of it it, it caps your your to the total load a little bit. You can't be lifting so much weight because you can't reduce range of motion really at all. So I think it's a little it's a more of a true like upper body strength builder and, you know, um, demonstrator. So I think for that reason, I just, I just honestly, I just like the movement. I think it's cooler than the bench press. 
I wish it was the bench press and powerlifting. You know, I wish they just bench press and put them. I don't understand why they didn't why they took it out. Old, you know, uh, strength competitions, but I do think that it's, it's better test of just upper body strength, and it's it's great for just like your lower body as well. Like usually, like my quads are like almost cramping after a set because you're having to just keep so much just tension um, in the legs and in, in your brace and everything. So I do feel like it's a great movement for just full body strength. You know. I think it's a good one and like um yeah I would completely agree it's it's a better showcase of like quote total strength um but I think it's a good one in that it's such it relies so heavily on your brace and your upper back stability whereas obviously in the bench press bracing is not something that gets talked about much um but in an overhead press uh and it's specifically in a strict overhead press it's it's such a huge um relies hugely on the the brace itself and I think it's a good way to learn to brace cuz if you it's it's as, as simple as like squeezing your abs. If you don't do it, you'll kind of fall backwards. If you do, you'll be able to have a vertical bar path. And um, it's something that's like helped me learn to brace. I think you can take that over to other parts of lifting as well. Um, the other thing I kind of noticed was you said you don't like the safety bar, but you do enjoy high bar and high bar pauses. What do you think the difference is for you between the two? Because for me, they feel very, very similar. I find that with the safety bar, then um, it might be the one I'm using. I, I use a, a Titan one, and the other one, it's really old. It doesn't even weigh. It's not even like a sixty, like a fifty pound one. Um, but both of them, I always find that, especially if I try to like pull the handles into me, and like you, like what I would like consider just like using my lats and just kind of like depressing the shoulder blades. I always find that as I'm coming up, the weight, it's the then the slightly cambered. Um, aspect of the bar, I just find that it whips kind of back and forth, and I can't keep the weight like stacked over my midfoot. Mm. I guess that's the problem. And usually, just under fatigue, I just find that I get really folded over, and I can't maintain a good position. And I talked to Dawson about that, and he said, "Well, that might be a weakness, you know, and we could we could work on that by doing it." But I just find that I almost have to like push the bar up and like elevate my my scapula to keep it over my midfoot and keep it where I want it. Mm. And I think it just reduces the amount of load that I can use so much and is so different from a high from a low or high bar squat to me that it just it doesn't feel like it's that like specific or relevant I'd rather have the bar a lot more stable which even with high bar I feel like I have a lot more just control of the bar and I can just lift heavier weights and therefore you know it's just it's just better I yeah I like you mentioned it it is heavily dependent on the bar that you use um but I've, uh, do you know Sheetha on Instagram, Max Sheetha's older brother? He, I don't know if you've seen how he safety bars, but he does without the handles and then he does handles up and handles down. Now, I'm not a biomechanical genius, so I don't know the difference between handles up and handles down. I think handles, when you push it up, it, it loads p- potentially uh, most more posterior, but um, within that, because it's a variant and then there's other variants of that with like with the different handles and that sort of thing. Um, do, I don't know. Are you able to explain the difference between the handles up and down? I don't know what it loads differently. Um, I, yeah, I really don't know either. The thing that always I always think of is the, the slight like, because the safety squat bar is supposed to, like you said, kind of emulate a high bar squat. It kind of puts the weight out a little bit in front of you, even though like the pads are like around your, your mm-hmm. neck and your Um. So I would imagine that, like you said, the more you push push it up, more like a low bar position, it's more a little bit you, and then the more you pull it down, um, it would be more, even more out in front of you, mm-hmm. almost like a front squat, I guess. But I don't know. I just find that 
I can't really push the intensity of that movement. So I have done like pause squats and with that, I can control it a lot better. Um, but it's really, it's, it's not something I've ever really enjoyed doing. I do think that that the safety bar squats very useful for like a good morning. I'd much rather use that than a straight bar for like a good morning. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to me because, um, I understand what you're saying. And for, for me, it's actually the opposite. It's been the single biggest thing that's helped my squat just using the safety bar and I don't know, I'm I'm tall as well so I kind of had that like large range of motion and safety bar actually exaggerates the range of motion more than low bar so like it's 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 really hard for me and like again, that distance traveled but it, yeah, we've used it for over a year now. Uh, I'm in prep and it, my third squat day is a safety bar day because um, yeah, it just has helped me so much and I don't know what the difference is between people but um, I guess maybe having smaller quads, it's it's a good emphasis when you, uh, I guess it's t- if you're knee or hip dominant, I'd imagine for me as a hip dominant lifter, um, in the squat, my quads don't get much attention. So it's good to use the safety bar, but I guess you seem to be more knee dominant in the way that you squat um, and potentially maybe that's my guess um, since you're quite upright with your torso angle. Yeah, um... I used to, I, I've, I've sort of changed the way I squatted. I used to rely a lot more, I guess, on the hips, be more hip dominant um, and sit back a lot more into it. I just always kind of thought that was the better way to squat. Um, I, I never really felt much like a lot of power, but then the more lately, I just basically sit like straight down. I don't really try to let my knees, I don't try to shove them forward or really, you know, let them track too far forward. I just pretty much just try to sit straight down. And I think I do have a fairly long torso and like relatively short femurs for my height. So I think that I'm, I'm able to keep a pretty upright position. And I also, I, th- I think I have good ankle mobility, but I'd say it's, a, it's, I wouldn't necessarily say it's either knee or hip. I think definitely my glutes and adductors and everything work, work a lot too um, on my squat. Um, mm. But I do think it's a good, I think I have like a good balance, you know, I just mm. think my, my position is mostly like a byproduct of uh, my anatomy. Mm, yeah and it's it, yes i would say you definitely have good ankle mobility um judging by the the deep split squats and that sort of thing i um i i was just yeah i was thinking about um why lifters uh with like a like a horizontal torso angle torso angle and why they favor like that hip dominant squat i guess it's probably pretty common to have bad ankle mobility and not much internal rotation and so lifters have to like sit back into the squat kind of thing instead of sitting down like how you mentioned um because obviously you have good er and ir so you can just sit straight up and down but some if they like they're lacking that internal rotation of the femur um probably have to sit back to try to hit depth and then that that bad ankle mobility just adds to it and then over time you just become hip dominant um and that's what happened to me uh and yeah that's potentially why the safety bar is so helpful for me and, and not for other people yeah, and I, I like that style of squatting a lot better. I don't think everybody can necessarily squat the way that I squat, like with the upright torso. But I do think that um, like the direction powerlifting has gone with like the super low bar, really wide stance, really hinged squat. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it, yeah, I think I think it's you know, a lot of people are very good at it. Um, like I know like um, some lifters from from the U.S. like come to mind are like David Wilson. I don't know if you follow him. Um, but extremely wide, you know, um, I, I don't even know how he does it. And he, obviously he has really good mobility. I think he could probably squat, you know, similarly to I do, but I think he gets, he's better at it like that. Um, it's just kind of my personal, I guess, preference. I just think it looks 
prettier, a little closer stance, more just kind of mm. up and down. You know? oh, I'll, I'll say this: David Wilson's squat makes me hurt. Like watching him squat, I just think, oh, I just think like it. And it's it's always like I don't want to be that guy who says, oh, like my back hurt watching. I hate those comments, but like when I watch his squat, I was like, if I tried to do that, I would have just the craziest hip issues. Like that might that guy he must work hard because I know he pulls sumo too. If you can imagine like juggling the the hip doms from that squat and then doing the same position on sumo, um, he I, I I don't know maybe he's built for it, but I'd imagine he has a hard time battling like mobility and like um, joint like just fatigue all the time. Sorry. Yeah, I think maybe, but I I honestly kind of think that it, it helps him a little. Squat stance is basically his sumo. His sumo- so it's just it's almost just like even more specific that like when he's squatting he's just doing a deeper deadlift and then when he's deadlifting he's just doing a less range of motion squat. Mm. i mean um, i mean yeah over a period of time they probably complement each other but can you imagine doing a, a heavy squat single and going immediately into like the same position on a? I just think for, i just think like that would just burn me out i agree yeah i think i think it would i think it would be for sure Mm. Um, and I mean, I pull sumo, but I don't think I'm honestly nearly as like externally rotated as a lot of people. Even him. I have a fairly closed, which I don't really turn my toes out a lot either. So I think that even my sumo is like pretty, you know, I, I use a ton of quads. I don't really try to reduce range of motion a lot. I just get, I just get a much better position from sumo. Mm. Um, but I really, I really don't like max it out or even think that the range of motion reduction is why I'm stronger. I just think I just get way more just muscular involvement with that position, you know? Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. I've seen a few posts recently like and you're one of those guys who can stand relatively close and, and still achieve a like pretty decent upright torso angle like Angelo, for example. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the there's I've seen, I've come across a lot of research lately that's like sumo is a shitty exercise for hypertrophy and like uh, to, some, to some degree, I would agree that it's not the best for muscle and obviously that's not the point in a powerlifting competition but for example people who use the sumo deadlift as a glute exercise so it's like well if you look at like the anatomy of it the the more you adduct your leg the less glute you're using and people people um don't realize that like the glute max is a hip extensor and so when you stand wider and again it's like the bench press and the pec the less um range of motion you're going through to, to extend your hip so if you like it, comparing a conventional to a sumo and using a sumo to build your glutes, it's like, well, if you look at a conventional, look, you go from, from where's the camera, this angle to that angle, look how much, you know, hip extension you're actually getting. Whereas in a sumo, if you go from here to here, it's way less hip extension. They go, oh, I'm going to use it for my glutes. I'm like, I mean, yeah, fine. Like you can do whatever you want, but I just feel like if you just take the time to learn that anatomy, like the glute max works way better when you stand close together. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense to me. Same thing with, like you said with the squat. With a more like um, more of a hinge squat, it's kind of like the same thing, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And like your squat, like I think your squat is very satisfying to watch. I enjoy seeing like a bigger dude squat to depth as well because I know some big dudes will have questionable depth and, and or lack mobility, but it's a combination of like, yeah, you've got big legs, but you also squat to depth. I know like some people say, you know, some people have like big quads and it kind of makes their squat look high because of the the difference between this. But it's like still like pretty unquestionable depth, which is always refreshing to see because it's not something that you come across across often is unquestionable depth. 
Not anymore. Not from what I see, at least. Yeah, well, I appreciate that because sometimes I feel like they're right on. (laughs) I'd say you're pretty safe, man. I I haven't really seen any. Not that I keep an eye out for it, but yeah, I'd say you're pretty safe with the depth. Um, One of the the bigger questions I got for you, um, and I actually got it a couple of times, is do you consider yourself a contender in the future for breaking the deadlift record? Now, before you answer, um, I assume the question means raw, so no deadlift suit, uh, and I assume it means without straps, but I, that's up to you whether you think you would need them in the future. Mm, I get this question quite a lot. Um, I, I remember like I put you know, like on TikTok and I had like hundreds of people being like, when are you going to break Eddie's record? And I was like, never. Like, I think it's way cooler. It'd be way cooler to break um benedict magnuson's 1015 deadlift with no straps no suit just a belt in a powerlifting meet than it would be to wearing straps wearing two belts wearing a you know a deadlift suit um but that's just me i mean i I think obviously both eddie and thor amazing athletes but it's a a whole different thing really Mm. people people yeah and like but when I started lifting and I saw guys like you or Jamal or whatever, like, oh, yeah, they could definitely throw on a suit and straps and beat the record. And it's like, yeah, I get, like, for example, Jamal, when he deadlifts 450 raw, right? People or with hook grip. And people are like, oh, you put on a suit and straps, you could definitely beat um, the record. But I think it's a lot. It's like the argument, oh, if he went up a weight category, he'd be stronger. It's like, yeah, that does make sense to an extent. But a lot of people go up a weight class and all of a sudden they lose the mobility, they lose the ability to do hard reps. They Their positioning's not as good. And it's like, yeah, in theory, in theory, Shane Hunt could get put on, I don't know, how much do you weigh? 120 kilos? About that, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Oh, in, in theory, he could put on 30 kilos like Thor did and break the record. And it's like, yeah, theoretically he could, but could he with like that lack of mobility, like the lack of sleep that you'd have through being so heavy and all that sort of thing. Like there's a lot of things that come into play. Um, but so, so the 1015, what, do you know what that is in kilos? Um, I guess it would be 460. Oh yeah. 475 maybe. I don't think it's quite 475. I think, um, the 450 is what? Nine. Nine. Yeah. 450. I'll quickly do the, I'll do it. Sorry for everybody listening. I'll do the calculation. One, 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 five divided by 2.2. Oh, that's or one, one thousand fifty. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that makes more sense because that was five oh six. <laughs> that's the wrong math on my part. Okay, four sixty one. Yeah, you're right. Four sixty two. Yeah. So Jamal, right now, like if you look at the top, the top lifters right now, none of them weigh anywhere near what mm. um what Mag what Benedict weighed. But I think there's like four there's four people that are around 950 to 1000 so you have Jamal and that's in competition so Jamal's done 970 i think Chris White who he's he's a bigger guy he's a 308 but he's he's done 970 conventional i think in the gym i can't remember what he pulled in the meet i know he was going to try to pull 1000 but i don't think he actually Yuri's done 980 now which i'm sorry i'm saying all these in pounds no, that's okay. I'm I'm following. I'm following kind of. I'm I'm there. I know we're above 450 somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um and then I think uh Christoph where's Becky? He's done about 950. Mm. So there's there's maybe like four or five guys that I feel like 
Uh, there's probably more than that too that haven't done it in a meet but there's quite a few people who are like kind of are pushing for that but obviously i think there's a massive amount of diminishing returns kind of like you said it's like how do you get stronger once you get really really strong harder and harder and just gaining raw body weight is not always the answer like i've noticed i gain a little bit of body weight you start getting these like back pumps you can't breathe you can't sleep and then it's like now my recovery is worse and i'm weaker Mm. you know it's not just easy like oh just gain weight and then just like, you know, mm. you, you should you gain 30 pounds and you should gain a proportional amount on your deadlift weight ratios. Like it doesn't work like that. You know, mm. it's way harder. And the heavier so. you get and the more weight you put on, the, the more you start to realize. Like I sent a voice message the other day and I was talking quickly. And by the end of it, I was out of breath. And I'm like, yeah. I have never felt, it was the first time I'd been out of breath talking. And I was like, and I wasn't running. I wasn't walking or anything. I was like, fuck it getting, cause I'll be a 120 one day. I'm kind of nervous because people think, oh, he's, you know, like must be sick to be like that big and jacked and strong. It's like, I mean, some dudes get to like 110 kilos and they need like the CPAP, like they can barely sleep properly and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I, I saw Australian Sebastian Oreb post about how he got to like 115 or whatever and could barely sleep, could, you know, couldn't do his own shoelaces, couldn't put a shirt on. And that's only 115 kilos. There's some bigger dudes than that around. Um, so, yeah, I, I know, like, theoretically, yeah, it'd be sick to be heavy. I'd love to be shredded at 120 kilos, but there are so many downsides that come with it. And it's like, yeah, it, it, and, um, like, because I would consider you a contender and Jamal as well and that sort of thing. But, like, only you guys really know how much it would affect you personally because obviously everyone's going to take it differently like moving up for example like moving up a weight class actually training to you know pull 500 like all that sort of stuff right um so i think jamal will break it so i think what's like what's going to happen is jamal will break it and then i will have to basically break whatever like jamal that's what I, I mean he just barely moved a thousand was that yesterday or two days ago yeah yeah i watched that one yeah so I definitely think I don't know if he'll do it, you know, this year or next year, but I do think that he's been there for a while and grip grip is his limit. So I do think that he will definitely break, and it will be that I'll have to break mm-hmm. that if I all time record, which I do. I definitely. And he record. he's slightly older than you as well. I believe he is. I think he's about two and a half years older than me. Hmm. Okay, so maybe slightly behind. Yeah, that checks out about right. Um, he would. I'm just thinking about it now. He would have the heaviest hook grip. Like, I know it's not a record, but would he have? No one else would have hook gripped over that, right? Over 450. No, 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 no. Uh, Yuri, right now, Yuri, I guess has 445 in a meet hook grip. He mm-hmm. did 440. And the thing with Yuri that's very interesting though is he. I mean, he is significantly smaller than Benedict mm-hmm. Magnus. He's even smaller than Jamal. You know, he's, I think he weighed 103 kilos, so about 206 pounds, 127 you know, pounds. 230, yeah, I think so. Yeah, when he pulled 980, when he pulled 445 kilos. So, I mean, he's, it seems like, you know, you could tell him, you know, go up to 110 kilos and break it. And then it's kind of like the same argument. Like, mm. he's even short, shorter, I think, than me and Jamal. So, that weight gain really might not help him at all. He already doesn't deadlift the belt for the reason of like enhancing his position. But I do think if he gained half an inch on his torso, everything is so technical with him that might take mm-hmm. 50 pounds deadlift. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, who knows? That's And that's why like people, I think, vouching for you as well, the, the ones who can sort of pick this stuff apart is that you already won its close stance to it's very like 
musculature dependent rather than like of course it is technical but you are close stands your torso is like maybe 45 to you know maybe just above 45 degrees it's not a really crazy like when you look at yuri's and yours from the side in comparison like his is very very technical and yours is just it's technical but like really dependent on muscle as well because obviously larger range of motion so um yeah, where people say, oh, Yuri could move up and break. It's like, well, Yuri might move up five kilos and lose his deadlift. Like, that might be it for his positioning, like you said. So, it's, yeah, very, very complicated. I'm sure uh, people excited to see and that sort of thing. Um, what actually, ha- I was going to ask when you mentioned Christoph, he, w- he seemed really close about, when I started following a heap of people on Instagram for powerlifting, he was one of the first ones that I followed. Around the time... He was like, he just failed 475 from the floor. Like he almost locked out 475. And then I felt like after that, this was about a year or so ago, he kind of just disappeared. And like, I hadn't seen anything from him. Um, Maybe he was, do you know what happened to him? Did he get injured or something in the last, like around a year? Because he got, I remember him getting super, super close to like 500. Pardon me. Um, And he was only like 100 kilos. Yeah, he is an absolute monster. I don't exactly know what happened. I do remember that he pulled, or he almost pulled, a thousand forty or a thousand fifty, like you said, four seventy five. Mm. Um, and then I'm pretty sure he pulled whatever nine fifty, four hundred and thirty two and a half kilos. I think he did that in a meet at like a hundred kilos, and I think that's right now that is the hundred kilo record actually. Mm. Maybe it might no, it might yeah. It might. Might be, I think Taylor Taylor Williams still has that record. I think, um, but yeah, I don't know what happened to him. Uh, I know he was an IPF lifter, and it doesn't seem like he competes in the IPF anymore. So I'm not exactly sure. I think he has the highest deadlift in the IPF still. Mm. Yeah, I don't, no. I don't know. Yeah, it was he interesting because it kind of looked like he was almost going to break it there. And this was back at the time when I was like, why doesn't he just put on weight and he'll easily get it? Um, then you kind of realize that that's not how it works. But yeah, I remember him just getting crazy close, especially for the body weight that he was at. I'm amazed that he's that light because I know I know he's not a short guy. And it's like he has like 20-inch arms at 220 pounds. And he's extremely lean too. But I, I he's probably about the same height as me, maybe a little. I, I, would, I would think he's the same height as me. So it's, it's crazy to me that he can weigh that much um, and still be still be that strong. Mm. Yeah, he's a super technical lifter as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some people interested in, and I'm keen to know as well, um, and this is another one of those ones where it's like, I don't really want to ask you because I kind of know already, the recovery. Um, now, the question was, is it just food and sleep or does he do more to recover? Which is actually kind of what I'd like to know as well. Is it just food and sleep, which is what people don't want to hear, that I just rest and eat? Um, is there more to it that you do for recovery? Um, no, not really. I mean, I have my like, uh, we sort of t- talked about it a little bit, like supplementation, different things like that, but that nothing beyond, you know, the known stuff. I think walking, like, I don't know if you know who follows uh, Stan efforting at all, No. Um, but he's a big proponent of those. You know, oh, he's a big proponent of these, like taking 10 minute walks after each meal. Um, and that's something I do all the time. I do want to start doing it more, but I do think that that's the biggest thing is like your food, your hydration and your movement. So just mm-hmm. making sure that you have a lot of low intensity movement throughout the day. I think that's one of the best things you can do 
um, to just reduce like achiness, you know, oxygen, move blood around, but not like actually stressful. So I don't think going out five mile run, you know, I don't think that would be good, but I do think that if you could walk for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour every day, kind of spread out throughout the day, it's going to do a lot for your recovery and just the way you feel. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of the answer that I expected and that's why I didn't want to ask you because that's what most people do and people want to hear like, oh, I do some, you know, I have these ice baths or fucking whatever and people want to hear that there's some crazy shortcut. Most of the time there isn't. Uh, well, no, all the time there's no crazy shortcut. Um, but yeah, I just thought I'd ask you anyway because people are keen to hear. Um, but yeah, it's just sleeping, eating, getting your steps in. I, I, I um, I've seen, actually have seen... Uh, Dawson mentioned the walking. I watched one of his YouTube videos or whatever and he was walking after a meal. Um, but yeah, I, for me, like walking, yeah, for me as well, is the single best thing. Like if uh, if I don't get my steps in, I'll just feel shit everywhere. It's not, it's not like just hip focus, you know. It doesn't just help your hips. I feel like it helps your whole body, which mm-hmm. would be a more like physiological thing rather than just like a like, like very surface anatomy type stuff. But yeah. Um, it helps, kind of helps me all over, not just, not just the tight hip flexors from sitting, sitting around all day. Right. Anytime, like, especially even with my adductor and right now my, my back is trouble, but I'm never, I mean, sometimes I am like, let's target that direct area. But usually I'm just like, for one, fatigue's too high. And then just like, you need to move and not induce fatigue with that movement. So it needs to be just more good movement. But I do think that normally like looking at, look looking at it that way versus like, Oh, I need to go foam roll my back or I need to go ice my back. Like, I don't think that mm-hmm. but it, it kind of reinforces this idea that you're made out of like glass, you know, which you're not the I mean, human body, extremely resilient. Um, I don't think that, you know, all like cupping and like you said, the ice bath, I've had, I've had arguments with people about ice bath. I actually have a, like a galvanized steel, like tank in my, <laughs> at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. And I used to take ice baths, but it was never for the point of, um, like recovery my my mindset was always with that was like this is more like a mental toughness thing kind of like a uh a sensation based thing i would do like wim hof breathing and stuff in there um but it never was like oh i'm getting i'm, I'm reducing inflammation and now i'm, yeah. I'm gonna recover it never was that like I'm, you know, there's other like the exposing yourself same temperatures other like health benefits you know yeah and i'm fairly sure i've come across uh studies and don't take my word for this anyone listening but um ice bath directly after exercise or like hypertrophy stuff will uh, decrease growth it decreases hypertrophy something about um because i know like you said like uh reducing inflammation i'm fairly sure that's the body's way of growing um like when people get an injury they're like i need to reduce the inflammation it's like no like the inflammation is your body's natural response to pain or injury and it's trying to heal and like, I don't know exactly what the study was, but I'm fairly sure I've come across stuff that was like, and because I, I see it quite often, it's like ice bath right after lifting. But there was these studies done that were like, no, like it's going to actually reduce your like hypertrophy and that sort of stuff. But I, I mean, I don't know. That's just what I've come across. And so, and obviously I'm on, I'm of the idea that food and sleep is all you need. So I haven't even bothered with that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting that you you have one used it and it wasn't for what people what other people use it for. It's a completely different thing. Yeah, there there I think there are some benefits to do. I definitely wouldn't do it post training. Mm. Um, 
seen some research that if like if you are going to do it, you wait at least like two hours after you train, and definitely do it before you train either. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's like when you take an ice, it's like uh, it constricts your blood vessels. Everything your all your blood like sort of goes to the center of the body to serve heat, uh, and it reduces blood flow like to the whole body. Like what you should do after training is probably like eat some food and like we've <laughs> get some sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or go on a walk, like eat some food, go on a walk, and then take a nap. You know, <laughs> that's the best way to recover. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. People, people. I think ice bath is one of those, and like, fair enough if you want to use it. If like, and yeah, the mental toughness thing, like, I couldn't handle it. So I, I agree, that's probably a good thing to do. But um, yeah, I'm fairly sure it's actually contradictive to what people are trying to use it for. Um, I'll rattle off a couple more questions that people had for you, man. Um, another one was about your core work and if we do any direct core work for your lifts or is it just like beltless or just the direct effects of SBD that um, have made your core strong? Um, I've actually, I've been adding in a lot more. So typically I'd say no. That's that I used to do or I sometimes still do like an eight point plank or a rolling plank or like dead bugs before I squat or deadlift. But that's not really to train the abs to be stronger. It's more like a, a cueing thing or like a you know, like a warm-up activity. Um, but I would say that, like, I really don't think that I have a particularly strong, like, abs, especially, like, rectus abdominals. I don't really think that they're that strong, so I really don't train them. Um, so, actually, I'm going to start doing a lot more. Uh, the three things that I'm going to be adding in at least a few times a week, and it's also kind of like a re thing. I think it's going to help my back feel better. They're just going to be ab wheel, hanging leg raises, and – using the GHD and doing like sit-ups on the, on the GHD. Mm. But okay. I really, I can't, it was for like maybe a week at this point. I really haven't been like hammering them hard. Mm. Um, but like I said, I really don't think I have a very strong like core. I can't, I can't hardly, I can't do a standing ab wheel. And I know people that weigh like 300 pounds that can do that, you know? Mm. So I really, I'm, I'm, I imagine at that point, it's like uh, almost just like, why you suck at something when you start doing it because you've never done it before. So maybe that's because I imagine you would have a pretty strong core and the fact that it's the antagonist to the back and considering that you've probably got some, you know, pretty strong back muscles, we would have to assume that your core is strong too. Um, but yeah, the standing ab wheel, is that something that you think you could just do? Like, let's just hypothetically say that you're at, you ha had like a stronger core. Do you think you could just do an ab wheel first go? I think it's something that was even still would have to take a lot of time before you could do one. Because I feel it's like a Nordic hamstring curl where you could have the strongest hamstrings in the world and you could still probably suck at it for a couple of weeks. Yeah, like there's that like that amount of exposure to the movement, mm. even like, like no matter how much like general ability you have, if you don't have any specific experience with that movement, you might not be, be able to even use what you have effectively. Um, I, I, I would agree with that. I don't think there's hardly anybody that could just probably do a standing wheel that wasn't like some kind of gym that like had a lot of training with something like that at least um but i really i'm not saying my abs are like really weak i think like that's just kind of like i think compared to the rest of my body though they really aren't that strong it's all it has been something i've had a trouble with in the past especially when i was smaller um i'd get folded over in squats my back would round on deadlifts i think i was just like for one just not knowing how to brace as effectively as i could but also just um i don't have a very thick waist so the, the bigger i've gotten the more i felt like i can just brace better and not get folded over um but i've always had a pretty narrow waist and i never really have trained abs like heavy 
So I really don't feel like they're that strong, honestly. Mm. Like, I'm in, we have to look at things, I guess, like... Uh, Proportionately. Yeah, but I don't think, like, they're that strong compared to the rest of my body, you know? Mm. Okay, yeah, fair enough, because I know, yeah, I, I, I vouch for the, like... Um, I, I do enjoy the dead bug, especially before, well, obviously only before lifting and in, in that it like does help you um, really, I guess it just warms up your core. And so when you go to brace, you can feel it better because a lot of people struggle and I have struggled in the past bracing because it's hard to feel your core when you've got, you know, 90% of the weight rested on your back because you can really only feel your back and your legs or whatever. So it's hard to um, feel a muscle that's not like, directly taking the load so a dead bug for me has been really helpful because you know i can warm up my core gets a bit uh fatigued i guess and then all of a sudden i can feel it when i start squatting as opposed to just starting squatting and you can't really feel it at all so it's helped me in that way and that's kind of the only core stuff that i do as well as more activation like i've come across some stuff i don't know if you know connor harris um he's a like a biomechanics dude i don't know what you call them uh, but yeah, and he, the, he does this, um, it's like a side plank with your, uh, hips and knees are at 90, 90 and, and you just reach. So it's just a side plank. It just gets your external obliques pumping really hard. Like if you do like a long exhale, uh, cause they're obviously like a breathing muscle. If you do, if you exhale for a long time, the external obliques start to contract and work really hard. And so I've been doing that as well. Um, but yeah, those are the only two core exercises I do as well. And it's for the same reason it's to, to like help my brace essentially and it has helped a lot yeah i think those like they help you get like the right position like when you're especially with the deck bug having the back the the, the lumbar on the ground mm. kind of reinforce that neutral position and get your pelvic position you can like move the leg into the um lumbar extension yeah you can pel have, pelvic tilt yeah yeah which obviously there's going to be some pelvic tilt anytime you like really squat um but just keeping that tension, I think, is like you said, just helping it like feel that sensation before you actually get under a bar um, mm. can help. I think just the orientation of those muscles, like laying like in that supine position and gravity pushing straight down the abs versus when you're vertical and trying to create that pressure yourself. Mm. It's uh, you like just laying in like a hollow body position, you're going to have to basically start to brace or you're just going to, you know, you're not going to be able to maintain the position. Whereas like, if you're just standing up, erect you're not really going to have to brace your core a little bit to, to just stand there you know yeah so i feel like the orientation of that being in that supine position is a lot easier to feel your abs working mm. and i think as opposed to um because we're talking because the load in a dead bug is eccentric um and it's like gravitational as opposed to like a um well i suppose it is in like a hanging leg raise as well but i feel that the dead bug is really good in that you don't you can avoid using your hip flexors. I feel like most people, if they do a hanging leg raise or a hanging knee raise, it's just hip, hip flexors. Like they, they probably can't tell the difference between abdominals and the hip and iliopsoas. And I feel like when you're doing that dead bug, um, just because of the position it puts you in, you can avoid using the hip flexor, which is what a lot of people don't want to do is to like warm up a muscle that's already tight uh, and activate a muscle that's already probably really tight. So, and I found that it's, yeah, been a really good one. I don't know the exact, like you said, it's lying down, you're in a neutral range. I don't know all the anatomy behind it, but it's been a really good one for me as well. Yeah, I like those. And I, I used to work at a commercial gym and I have almost everybody do those. And it seems to be, you know, like anecdotally very 
a positive. Most people did like to train the abs. Um, a lot of times, like they, it didn't hurt the back. A way to train the abs mm. and not really back, which a lot of people have. I was working with like general population, and a lot of people have lower back problems. So that was one way to I think kind of help teach some postural stuff too. Yeah, and you can get them to like um, learn to control their pelvis and that sort of thing as well. And if you can actually control that descent, as opposed to just like contracting really hard and swinging your legs up while you're hanging off a bar, you're actually forced to control that eccentric portion of like putting your leg back down and, and all that sort of stuff. I'm, there's someone, there's definitely people who can explain it better than me, but it, yeah, I really do like the, the lying dead bug. Um, yeah, for bracing. Um, before we hop, like before we end it up, wrap it up, man, uh, that one of the other questions and I had to filter through quite a few questions that were like, how do I get stronger? How do I get bigger? <laughs> Filter all those out. Um, a lot of people wanted to know well, like what eating looks like for you um, and what yeah, what your diet looks like. Um, so it's honestly not the cleanest. I think I do a lot better. Um, but like I don't know, you said you hadn't heard of that guy, Stan Efferding. He wrote this book called The Vertical Diet. Mm. And ideally, like, that would pretty much be how I would. So he has a huge focus on eating very digestible foods. So basically the way, the way the diet works is like steak and rice are kind of like your, uh, your vertical axis. And you just manipulate those based off. If you want to gain or lose weight, you eat more or less steak and rice. That's like your main carb and protein source. And then you have this horizontal axis, which is like all your micronutrients. And the, that pretty much stays static, no cutting or bulking or maintaining just to get your micro micronutrients in. And he has like 15 different foods. I don't know exactly what all of them are, but that would be, that would be like my ideal diet. Um, it is kind of all over the place. I, I do eat a lot of steak and rice. I drink a lot of milk. I drink a lot of like lactose-free um, milk. I don't know if you know what Fairlife is. I just drink mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of that, like high protein. You Americans sugar. love that Fairlife. We don't have it over here, but yeah, I've seen it because from what I've heard, it tastes good too. Because most protein shakes to me taste like shit. But like I've heard it's it and from what I've seen, it tastes really good. And also like obviously the macros are crazy and those two things usually don't come together, tasting good and having crazy macros. Yeah, I've, I've always liked milk since I was a kid, um, but it's just like a, it's just like a richer, more protein. It's like, it feels like it's thicker and it like tastes better, but there's less sugar, more protein. Um, great source of like uh, electrolytes, like potassium, magnesium, calcium, sodium, all those, uh, vitamin D, it's, it's great. Um, but then I have my share of like, I, mean, I weigh 260, 270 pounds. So I'll eat, eat basically whatever I want. Like I'll, I'll mm -hmm. eat, you know, like an ice cream and whatever, really whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Cause sometimes like it's just calories. And I have a, a pretty big like amount of leeway with that where I can, I can afford to do that and not really suffer too many consequences. Mm -hmm. So obviously you don't want to eat too much, like just processed shit and sugar, but for just like body weight and body composition, I feel like I can get away with quite a bit. And still be okay, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you're pretty lean for your size. Like, you don't really see... I don't really come across many dudes that... Like, you got, like... You're pretty uh, vascular and that sort of thing, too, For you, which is pretty rare, I feel, for your size and strength as well, obviously. Dude, man, there's some guys. I don't know if you know the South African guy. His name's Nicholas Du Perez. I think I'm saying that right. No, Maybe I haven't not. heard of him. King of the List posts him all the time, man. He's like... He's probably like 4%, 5% body fat less than me. He weighs an actual like filled out 125 kilos. Um, Maybe I have seen like, him. Maybe I just don't know like, his name. 
Yeah, he's got like some. He has like a pretty long name. Mm. Um, but he look he looks like Larry basically. Like oh Larry shit! Beals. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough then. I did forget yeah. about Larry because Larry got pre- pretty lean at one stage as well, and he's like yeah, he, he's like 140, isn't he? 140 kilos. Uh he bulked up to that like one time, like he oh, was like okay. four. But no, he walks around more like 275. He did some bodybuilding shows though and yeah. got pretty lean. Mm. Yeah, what's yeah, actually? Do you know what's going on with him? Sorry to interrupt you. Do you actually know it? Because like I feel like he's been missing, like MIA kind of for a bit, making TikToks and shit. <laughs> he's um, I know he's in Dubai. I don't know if he'll ever like. What I think he talked about competing in powerlifting this year, um, but I know he did that meet maybe nineteen where he broke the mm. he broke the three hundred eight record. Yeah, all time world record, wasn't it? Where it had those big fifty kilo plates at his meet. Those big green ones, yeah. Yeah, those big stupid looking plates. I don't. <laughs> I, I, think, I I just think they look silly. I think they do too. Um, but his record, some of his records have been beaten. Like I know his his 125 kilo total record that got beaten. Um, he's like a strong man now. You know, yeah. he's, he, he's strong man. I know he tore his bicep, like loading stones. But um, yeah, I really don't know what he's doing. I think he's just chasing the bag now. To be honest, I don't know if he's he kind of he. he I mean, yeah, fair enough. He got to where he is from his strength, but now I think he's just. Just chasing the, good on him. I mean, you got to get that bag secure the secure the dough. But yeah, I feel like that's what he's done since he got um yeah since he got some views on TikTok. TikTok, he's sort of just gone, and all his followers are like Larry, what are you doing, man? Like, <laughs> come back there. You know, he's making those funny TikToks with Nicole or whatever her name is, <laughs> doing yeah. weird shit. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like he's such a like freak. He could probably like not compete for five years and then come back and be just as good or even better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think he still trains. Like I know he trains. Like I, if you, like, he's still like huge. So I know he's still training. You know, but it might be like more of a focus. Maybe more like I know he likes to do different things. Like he was messing around with the arm wrestling. Mm-hmm. He's messing with strongman, just like general grip training. Um, but yeah, he's like doing mostly collabs and like mm. making and just yeah making money. Yeah, I mean you can't <laughs> blame him. I can't blame him. I would do this. Yeah. I would do the same thing. Why would I want to? Com- why would I? I mean, I love competing and powerlifting, but why would I? Uh, at the end of the day, if he's getting injured and stuff, you just want to get that get that money. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Fair Dude, enough. He said he claimed he was spending all his money on uh, on like OnlyFans girls. He was like giving all his money away. He made a YouTube video saying he was like addicted. <laughs> Not- blowing it all but see, even i see that, that just- I, I saw that and i feel bad for laughing <laughs> i feel bad for laughing at him but yeah fuck but, yeah, but i did I see like, that, that video even real like that, is that even legitimate or is he just like saying that to get more like clout and attention people talk about Money, you know, like- he he has always come across to me as like transparent, like with PEDs and that sort of thing. And and like when he said, I yeah. started taking them at eighteen. So I feel so like when I did watch that video, I was like, he probably is telling the truth. Um, but yeah, it did surprise me because it's such like a unique, like the problem that he had was very unique. I'd never heard of that before. I never heard of like paint, like what he was. I don't want to say what he was doing, but like it's very. I've yeah, I've never heard anyone else struggle with that. So I was like, maybe this is real. Um, obviously I feel for him if it was, but yeah, no stuff like that kind of just, cause then he was going back to making those weird TikToks with, you know, and that sort of thing. Like if, if you go on his page, it's just like the, all the thumbnails are just like asses and stuff. So like I've, 
yeah. I'm like, whatever. Like, I don't, I don't even know if I follow him anymore. I just, whatever he wants to do, it's cool. It's his life. But yeah, he kind of went off the rails recently, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, I think, I think that should, like it kind of like swallows you up. He has like millions of followers. Mm. And people are in different directions, and that's yeah, that's, huh? yeah, absolutely. Oh man, well, it's probably getting quite late for you, isn't it? What time is it now? Oh, let's see. I think it's uh, it's almost almost midnight. Oh shit, man! I'll let you go. No, you're good. There's one thing I, I really you were talking about, like having to get a CPAP. I actually have my sleep study tomorrow night, but I have honest, I have like one of the, probably the worst sleep schedules out there. Like I'll easily stay up to like three, four, five in the morning, and then and then sleep. Um, I can kind of do my work whenever I need to, like coaching wise. So mm. I don't really, I don't have to be at work at a certain time or anything. Is, so. so coaching's your main your main gig. Yeah, I was working. Like I said, I was working at a an actual gym about a year and a half ago, and then the pandemic hit, and I was actually doing like some manual labor for a little while, and that was just terrible for training, like, just be dehydrated and stuff. Um, and then I started, yeah, I started doing online coaching, and I make um, I make like tiny bit of money off YouTube. I'd like to one day just be able to just like make YouTube videos mm-hmm. and like sustain. That, that's a long way off. <laughs> yeah. Well, way. I think like you have the audience in the way that like the content is there, obviously being strong and like having that aesthetic and stuff. It's just a matter of transferring that audience to something profitable. Like you, like I've seen you, you put up stuff on your story of like TikTok, and it's like if you can, because I know I don't know how much money people make off TikTok, but if you can get them over to YouTube where you can monetize stuff, like mm-hmm. which is I know that take that stuff takes time, but yeah. I feel like yeah, someone, someone with yeah, you got the content. Like, just get a camera, get like a Sony, and you're set. Is that what you have? I don't. I'm I'm using a Canon, but like it's it's one of those like vlog type. It's it's. I bought it for because I didn't want to stop my music when I was recording gym videos. So that's literally the only thing I bought it for. Um, but yeah, no, it's just a Canon. It's only it was about eight hundred USD, so it's not like one of the big expensive ones. But it. it it's helped with the podcast as well, but you just need to get one of those like Sony A7s. Um, that's what all the influencers use and, and then your YouTube career is all set up. Yeah, it is. I need to do that. I, I've asked people a few times like in little, like, what's a good... Mm. And then I, I don't really look into it. I just like ask the question and don't mm. look, but I definitely need to. Especially mm. as it grows, like, just increase the production quality, you know? Absolutely. All right, man. Well, I'll let you go and thank you very much for coming on. Uh, for today's yep. episode. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This one, appreciate this one's going up tomorrow, so I'll tag you in the post. But yeah, man, have a good night and I'll catch you later. Awesome, man. You too. Cheers.